Today we're going to go to John chapter 14. We're going to be primarily in John 14, 15, 16, kind of hovering in that area. Uh, we are going to touch over also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. So if you want to put a bookmark over there, you can do that. And um, we're going to be continuing on today in our series, Holy Spirit Come, looking at who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? How does he move? What's he work? How does he work? And more importantly today, how can we cooperate with him in what he is doing in our lives and in the world at large? And so today we're going to look at the ministries of the Holy Spirit and what that means for each one of us um, as we walk with him. So, um, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, um, one of kind of like my main outlets um, was basketball. Like we played a lot of basketball in our neighborhood, and so it was a way for me to go out and kind of get my stress out, my frustrations, and with my sisters, and my moms, and all that kind of stuff, and get active with the guys, and, and, and so it became a big, big part of my life. But, you know, as, as you start to get older, I'm sure we've all kind of experienced this, as you get older, um, things that you used to enjoy and you had time for, all of a sudden, you don't have time for anymore. <laughs> You get married, and you get kids, and you get uh, job responsibilities and ministry responsibilities, and all of a sudden things kind of start getting pushed out to the edges, and that was basketball for me for many years. I don't, haven't played basketball really substantially for like the last nine or ten years um, of my life, and so, um, but like six weeks ago, God's grace shined upon me afresh, and um, I was invited to come and play basketball with another pastor and some other guys and pastors and church members, and so the last six weeks, we've been playing uh, once a week, and it has been like so just refreshing to my heart and to my soul to get out and get to do this again. But I've come to a realization over the last several weeks that um, my body cannot do at 40 what it could do at 20, right? Like, like I'm, I'm in there, we're play, I'm playing with all these young guys, and we're running up and down the court, and I, I see the ball, and I see the play that needs to happen. I, I see, what, I see the, the move. And I'm like, all right, we're going to do this, and then the body just won't do it anymore, right? It just doesn't cooperate like it used to. And I'm like, hey, can we get on the same page here? Like, are, are you working with me, or are you working against me? Like, if we could do this together, that would be a whole lot more beneficial uh, to the game and so forth. I think a lot of the times, the Holy Spirit looks at us like that. He's like, hey, I, I got some things I want to do in your life, right? I got some moves that I want to make here, but you got to get on board you got to be with me. you got to work with me on this and not against me in order for this to be beneficial for you. And so that's one of the things we want to look at today as we look at the ministries of the Holy Spirit. It's not just what are they, but how am I cooperating with the ministries of the Holy Spirit? That's the question in front of us. Am I cooperating with the ministries of the Holy Spirit in my life on a day-to-day -day basis? And so to do that, we're going to look at five ministries of the Holy Spirit that we find... That here in scripture starting in John chapter 14 the first ministry I want to look at is the helper the Holy Spirit is the helper okay look at verse 15 with me he says if you love me you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you so Jesus starts this section, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's not Jesus trying to like manipulate us. He's not trying to like, hey, if you really want to love me, then you got to do that. No, it's, he's just stating the fact that if we truly love Jesus Christ, if we truly love the Lord, if he has our heart, then we will want to do what he says. 
We won't want to obey his commandments. It's a natural outflow of love for someone. But if you've been a Christian for very long at all, you know that there's this other thing inside of us that oftentimes wants to fight against doing what the Lord says to do and obeying those commandments. That flesh side of us is constantly trying to like to, to jockey for control of our hearts and our minds and trying to keep us from obeying the commandments of the Lord. And that doesn't, that doesn't ca- catch Jesus off guard. He, he wasn't like, oh man, I never thought, what are we going to do about the flesh? Like he, uh, he, did, he wasn't surprised by that. And so he told the disciples, like, hey, I know it's going to be hard for you to do that, and so I, I've got some help for you. I, I got you, right? He said, I'm going to send you the helper. Notice helper there is capital H, right? That's a title. The Greek word there behind helper is paraclete, okay? Parakletos, but we say it paraclete. Uh, so maybe you've heard that before, the Holy Spirit called the paraclete, um, if you've been around church much. That's coming from this passage right here in John chapter 14. So it's a title that Jesus gave to the Holy Spirit. And there's some debate, if you will, on how to translate that word correctly. So some translations will translate that advocate, advocate or counselor. But that's kind of like visualizing like a courtroom situation where your counselor, your attorney is kind of arguing your innocence or your guilt before the judge and trying to get you off. And, and that's not exactly what Jesus is talking about here. So I don't think that's the best translation of this term. Another one that you might have heard is sometimes it's translated as the comforter, right? The Holy Spirit is our comforter. And um, he certainly is that, and that's good and all. But again, that's not really what Jesus is focusing on here, right? He, he's not, he's, he's not, the Holy Spirit's not like your quilt at home, right? Or your mother's lap. Like it's not, it's, it's more than that. It's not just comfort. There's more to it. And so I think helper here really is the best word that we're looking for because the Greek there really means to come alongside someone and to encourage them or to exhort them in the things that are right. And that's what the helper does for us when we're trying to follow Jesus. Okay? He also calls him here the spirit of truth. Because the Holy Spirit, when he comes to help us, he helps us by speaking God's truth to us. Telling us what is true, and then he urges us and compels us to obey the truth that God reveals. That's how he helps us to follow Jesus. Jesus also says that he will dwell with you and he will be in you, which is the, really the biggest reason why the Holy Spirit is so valuable to us as Christians is he's not just another person in our life giving us some advice. He says, no, he's going to be in you. Like the Holy Spirit is going to be another voice in your head, in your heart, telling you what is good and right and what to do. And we all need that because we have another voice in our head every day the voice of our flesh trying to tell us to do other things, right? Do you understand that in your life, nobody talks to you as much as you do? Like, no one speaks to you, preaches Like, the voice you hear most often is your own voice speaking to you when you're making decisions, when you're going through life. When you're, and that voice is, in the natural state, is tainted by our sinful flesh, is always pointing us away from God to our own desires, to our own sin, to our own things. But when you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you, and he starts to correct that voice and to speak truth into that voice, to lead you into the things of Christ and not into the things of this world. But Jesus makes a distinction here as well. He says the world cannot receive him. 
You see, as humans, everyone in the world, we all share something called a conscience, right? All humans have a conscience, which is supposed to help us figure out right and wrong. But here's the difference. Our conscience functions on abstract or relative truth, right? Our conscience is built by our experiences and our understanding of the world and what decisions we make, and we decide over time what we think is right, what we think is wrong, and then we function based on that. And it's not universal because if you go and talk to three different people, you'll get three different answers on what's right and what's wrong right? Because our conscience is based on abstract relative truth based off on our experiences. The Holy Spirit, when he comes to live inside of us at salvation, doesn't function on, on relative truth. He functions on absolute truth given from God himself. And he's speaking that truth into our heart and our lives to lead us into the way of Christ instead of the way of the world. So it's much more than just our conscience here. The Holy Spirit, he says, you, you, he will be with you, he will be in you, and he will be with you forever. So that's a fantastic promise from the Lord. In Matthew 28, 20, he says something similar. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he's saying here, like, listen, once you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, from that point forward, we never walk alone again. He is always with us forever. He's walking alongside us. He's encouraging us. He's exhorting us. He's urging us to follow Jesus in joyful obedience. But the big question is, will we listen when the voice speaks? When I was thinking about this, it reminded me of... Um, that old classic cartoon, Tom and Jerry. You guys remember Tom and Jerry, right? And so, like, Tom is the cat, and he's always, like, trying to figure out what he's going to do about Jerry, right? Jerry's antics. He's always trying to figure out, how am I going to handle this, this crazy mouse? And a lot of times when he's trying to figure out, he'll have two, two characters show up on his shoulders, right? Usually in the form of an angel and a demon. And they're trying to figure out, like, what do I do here? And they're both telling him, do this, do this, do this. That's a great picture of what's happening inside the heart and the head of a Christian. You have the flesh talking to you saying, hey, do this, do this, do this. You have the Holy Spirit saying, no, no, this is the way, this is the truth, this is the life, follow Christ. And our job is we have to listen to those two voices and decide which one are we going to follow. Which one are we going to listen to? Jerry, or I'm sorry, Tom usually ended up following the flesh voice, right? He's like, he does whatever it takes to get revenge. And a lot of times that's easy for us to do as well, but as believers, if we are walking with the Lord, if we're in his word, if we're praying, if we're gathering with his people, if we're worshiping, that voice of the spirit will always be louder than the voice of the flesh. But if we're not walking with the Lord, if we're not in the word, if we're not in prayer, if we're not following him in these things, that voice of the spirit starts to get tamped down. And pretty soon the voice of the flesh gets louder and louder and that's when we start going astray. He's right there. He's talking to you. He's, he's trying to help you, but you have to listen. And so the first question here for the helper is, am I an obedient follower? That's what Jesus wants us to be, right? Obedient am I being an obedient follower, and am I heeding the help of the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience to Christ? Because we can't do it on our own, friends. I don't know if you've tried to muscle that on your own, but it doesn't, it doesn't last very long. We need that power of the Holy Spirit helping us and 
and speaking to us as we follow Christ. So first, he's the helper. Second ministry of the Holy Spirit is he is the teacher. Also in John 14, look down a little bit further, chapter two, or sorry, verse 25, it says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus says, I've, I've spoken these things to you. He's talking about that he has taught them some things, right? If you look throughout the Gospels, kind of Jesus' like primary role um, most of the time is that he's a teacher. He's teaching the disciples. He's teaching them about the truth of God. He's teaching them the gospel. He's teaching them about the kingdom. He's teaching, teaching, teaching all the time. The Bible calls him the living word. That he was literally truth incarnate. He was the teacher. And yet, he says here, but the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So when the Holy Spirit, when Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit comes in the name of Jesus. He's the emissary. He's the representative. He is Jesus' person when Jesus isn't here. Right? He's Jesus' voice. He says, the Holy Spirit will come in my name and he will teach you all things and make you remember all that I have said. In other words, he was promising the disciples here, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to reteach you all the things that I taught you, but he's going to do it on the backside of the resurrection. See, right now, they're having a hard time understanding it all because Jesus is still here and they, they, they can't make sense of it. But once he dies and resurrects and they hear it all come true and they see him as the Messiah, then they're going to be ready to like, oh, okay, now I get it. So, so the Holy Spirit is going to reteach you all that I have taught you and you're going to finally be able to grasp it and you're going to be able to follow it. And so this, this scripture right here, it primarily applies to the first disciples, right? Less to us, more to them. Because they were the ones who heard the original teaching of Jesus that the Holy Spirit was then going to teach them again. And so the reason this verse is important for us is it shows us, it explains to us how those early disciples, those early apostles came to accurately and fully understand the gospel and God's word and write it down and pass it on to us. Because the Holy Spirit was teaching them and revealing to them this is the truth and then they could pass it on to the church generation after generation. We see the same teaching piece of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. So if you've got your Bible, flip over a page there if you need to. Go to John 16, verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So again, Jesus says here, I got many things to say to you. I got more to teach you, but you can't bear it right now. You ain't ready, right? Like right now, the disciples, their heads are about to explode because they just heard that Jesus is getting ready to leave. And they're going to be there by themselves. And they're like, what? You're leaving us? And they're, they're freaking out. And they don't understand it all. And there's all these teachings that Jesus has given them. And they don't fully understand all those yet. He's like, so I can't give you more because you're not, you're not ready. He says, but when the Spirit comes, He will guide you into all truth. All truth. Because Jesus understood that all truth ultimately comes from God. He is the originator of all everything that is true. 
And so Jesus passes that on, and the Holy Spirit teaches that to the disciples. But notice he says he will not speak on his own authority. He'll only speak what he hears. I said this a couple weeks ago. The Holy Spirit has no original material. He doesn't have his own teachings. He doesn't come up with his own stuff. He teaches whatever he receives from Christ. He teaches Jesus' truth, Jesus' words that he has for us. He says he will take what is mine and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now that little phrase, things that are to come, sometimes that triggers people to automatically think he's talking about the end times here. Like he's going to tell you, here's how it's all going to end, here's all the details, here's all the stuff. But he doesn't do that because we don't have that in the scripture. Right? What he's actually talking about here is he's going to tell you the things that are to come next. He's going to tell you like, hey, here's how to go out and preach the gospel. Here's how to, to, to plant the church. Here's how to, to make disciples. Here's how to spread the kingdom and spread it. He's going to lead you into all the truth that you need to keep making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. The mission that Jesus gave them before he left the earth. And then he says this, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we already said he's going to teach us what Jesus taught. But then notice he says this, all the Father has is mine. When I was reading this this week, it struck me that Jesus got his teaching from God the Father. It didn't even start with him. And it struck me that that from the very beginning, God has set up this model of discipleship in the church from the top down. That the truth, the gospel, all that we need for life and godliness, that it started with God the Father and He gave that truth to the Son and then the Son gave that truth to the Spirit and the Spirit gave that truth to the Apostles and the Apostles wrote it down and taught that truth to the church and to the disciples who then taught it to the next disciples and made more disciples and all the way down to us today. And so when we hear at Harvest, when we talk about making disciples that make disciples by passing on the truth that we have received, it's the same model that God has been following from the very beginning, even in the Trinity itself. Passing on the truth of God to the next person, to the next person, to the next person. And so in that way, the Holy Spirit is still our teacher today. Look at this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14 says this, The natural person does not accept the things of God, the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Some of you know exactly what that verse is talking about, because before you came to Christ, you had read the Bible sometime, you had been to some churches, you had heard some sermons, and it all sounded like gibberish to you. Like, it made no sense. It went right over your head because you did not yet have the Holy Spirit helping you understand the things of God. And so it all looked like just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. But then once the Spirit came, and He opened your eyes and He changed your heart, then you could start to understand and see the truth of God's Word. He was teaching you. He was guiding you into all truth, as Jesus says. And so we need him to teach us so that we can then teach others also and make disciples that make disciples. He's the teacher. You know, before I got into ministry, I actually worked in the education field. I was a teacher for a number of years. And in that field, they would always use this term. They would talk about making lifelong learners. I don't know if you've heard that before. But the idea was to, like, try to instill in the students this kind of this thirst for knowledge, this desire to always be learning and, and not be satisfied with just 
you know, school years, but always be wanting to learn the next thing. And I started thinking about that. I was like, man, if we have the Holy Spirit, if we have God the Spirit himself as our teacher, how much more should we want to be lifelong spiritual learners? Right? Like to think that we've ever arrived and we've learned enough that we got this Christianity thing down, man, that is so prideful and wrong. We are finite creatures with finite brains, and there is always more that Jesus can teach us if we're willing to learn. We'll never have it all figured out. But we have to be willing to listen, to learn from the teacher. The Holy Spirit is a faithful teacher, but are we fervent students wanting to hear, wanting to learn? Ask yourself, am I a lifelong learner? Am I listening to the instruction of the Holy Spirit? Am I letting him teach me? So he is the helper, he is the teacher. Number three, he is the convictor. The convictor, John 16, verse 7, says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world, there it is, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So he says the next ministry here is that the Holy Spirit, that he will convict the world. So what's that word convict really mean there? Convict in this sense means to expose. To, to convince someone to show them their sin and then summon them to repentance. All right? it's, it's a very personal sense of the word convict. Meaning to, to show them and convince them of their guilt and their need for salvation. So they can see it and respond to Christ. It's very similar to, you know, when Jesus came to the earth, the Gospels tell us that he, he came with a sword. That he brought division. Right? That households were split. That, that people were turned, because he shone a light into the darkness. And he exposed the sin and the pride and all the, the religiousness and all the things that were keeping people from God. His life of righteousness before God, it, it was like a light shining into all the lives around him. And when it exposed their sin to them, they were like, okay, now i got to do something with this. They either repented of it and followed Christ or they rebelled even harder against the Lord and continued in their sin. But he exposed it. But now Christ is gone. He says, since, since I'm not here, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to continue that work. He's going to continue to be the one who's convicting people of their sin and then calling them to salvation in Jesus. Notice he says he's going to convict about three things specifically. Um, actually, before I go there. And so the Holy Spirit, he convicts is one of his main things he does. But he does this primarily through the lives of believers, through the church, just like Jesus did with his life. Look at John 15, 19, it says this. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, followers of Jesus are chosen to be different than the world around us. 
Because we're called to follow him and to live set apart, to be light in the midst of the darkness. And, and oftentimes, let's just be honest, as Christians, we struggle with this. Because in every one of us, there's still a little piece of our seventh grade self who longs for people to like us and wants to be accepted and wants to, to be in, right? And to be, and to think that the world's going to hate us if we follow Jesus, if we say this, if we, if we say truth is truth. That's hard for us to swallow sometimes. But that's what we're called to. He says right here, the world is going to hate you if you follow me because it hated me first. And it's really not you. It's the fact that you're living for Christ and your life is a light in the darkness. And that light is exposing their sin and their stuff. And they don't want to be around that. They don't like how that makes them feel. They don't like the shame and the guilt that that brings. But God's trying to use that light in your life to show them so that they can turn and come to him. It's a good thing. He says he convicts of three things here. Concerning sin, because they need to repent of their sin and believe in Jesus and be saved by him. Concerning righteousness, because their self-righteousness that they're trusting in to get good graces with God is not going to work. It's filthy rags, the scripture says. And concerning judgment, because their judgment of right and wrong, good and evil, is flawed. And it's leading them to hell. Because as we already know, Satan has already been defeated by Christ on the cross. It's already done. And so continuing to follow him is just going to lead to death. So the Holy Spirit's trying to convict them so they can turn and receive life. It's really all about the gospel. The Holy Spirit knows that every single one of us, every human on this earth, we are born with a sin nature. We are born with a heart that rebels against God and wants to do our own thing. And I want to be king in my own life. And I want to go my own, my, follow my own desires. And we disobey God's word and we rebel against him. And we deserve his wrath and his punishment for that rebellion. And yet, God says, let me see if I can help you. And he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth to live a perfect and sinless life. And then to go to the cross to die a sinner's death. He chose to stand in our place and to take our sin upon himself. To take the death and the punishment that we deserved. He stood as a substitute and then he went into the grave and three days later he rose back to life proving that he was God. And offering forgiveness and salvation to everyone who will turn from their sin and put their faith in him. He's like, I can help. First, you have to feel the conviction of your sin. Yes, it hurts, it's painful, it's ugly. None of us like to feel that. But once we feel it, we can turn and see Jesus holding his hand out and saying, I've got grace for you. Come and receive forgiveness. But first, the conviction has to come. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. With it being Mother's Day, I know there's many parents in the room and Um, Have you ever noticed that when you tell one of your kids no, they now feel empowered to tell all the other kids no? Like it becomes like their mission, like they're like, Dad, can I have some more ice cream? Like, no, you can't have seconds on ice cream. You've already had like three bowls. You're good, right? And they throw a fit and they're all pouting and they're running away and they're all mad about it. But then pretty soon, 
Next thing I know, they are passionately proclaiming to the other kids, hey, dad said no more ice cream. You can't have that. Put it up. Right? And they're grabbing the bowl and putting it back in the cabinet. They're like, no. And the very thing that they were against, they are now like the champions of. And I find myself telling our girls over and over, like, hey, hey, hey. That's not your job. Right? That's not your job. You're not the parents. That's not your job. We have to be really careful as Christians that we don't do the same thing. I want you to notice in this passage, who's the convicted? Not us. It's the Holy Spirit. It is not our job to try to convict other people of their sin. That's his job. That's what he does. And when we try to do it, we usually get in the way. And we mess it up. And things get messy. Our job is to live under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Repenting of our own sin. And walking in the light. Walking lives of righteousness before the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit comes and He uses our light to convict other people of their sin and call them to Jesus. But He does it. We don't do it. His job is to convict. Our job is to repent. And so when we think about the Holy Spirit as the convictor, the question before us is, am I a repentant sinner? Not my kids, not my spouse, not my neighbor, and me. Am I repenting? Am I walking under the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Or am I trying to be the convictor for someone else? The Holy Spirit is the convictor. That's the third ministry. Fourth ministry of the Holy Spirit is the equipper. He is the equipper in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you want to flip over there, a couple pages to the right probably. Looking at verses 4 through 11, it says this. Now these are, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another the various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, the main emphasis here that Paul's making is that there are a variety of gifts, right? He says that a couple times there and emphasizing that, that the Holy Spirit gives a variety of gifts to believers in the church. In fact, I don't think that we even have the full list of all the possible spiritual gifts in Scripture. There's three or four lists of spiritual gifts, but they're all different. They're all partial lists. And so I think a spiritual gift is anything that God gives to us that we can then use to glorify him, to make disciples, to build the church, to do his mission. Anything that he uses in us and through us to do that, that's a spiritual gift from the Lord. And here it says that he gives us a variety of spiritual gifts to serve him. But it says to each is given. 
meaning that each and every Christian receives at least one or more spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you got it. You got the gift. Right? He's given you something that you can use to serve him. But notice he also says to, he gives to each one individually as he wills. So he gives different gifts to different believers so that all the gifts are represented in the church in order to build up the church and serve the church as needed. But he's the one who decides who gets what gifts. We don't get to decide that. I think sometimes we get a little gift envy. We're like, man, I wish I had that gift, right? I don't like this gift. This gift is boring. I want that gift, or whatever the thing is. He's like, no, no, I've got a master plan here for the church, and everybody's got to have different gifts so they can all be represented and used, and so he's orchestrating that as he wills, the scripture says. So he equips us with all these spiritual gifts, and then another passage that helps us here is 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verse 10. It says, as each has received a gift, so each one of us has a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So again, Peter reiterates, we all have spiritual gifts. He says, so use it to serve one another to serve the body of Christ, to serve your brothers and sisters. This is the reason he equips us with gifts so that we can serve others, not just serve ourselves. He says, serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. You know what a steward is, right? Steward is like a servant. Steward is not a master. A steward is someone who's entrusted with the resources of the master, and supposed to use those resources for the good of the master, not for the good of themselves. He says, you're a steward of these gifts that God has given. And if you think about it, this is his grace to us. That we are no longer his enemies. He's not punishing us as enemies. Rather, he's allowing us to humbly serve him as stewards of his great gifts. He says, serve with the gifts that you've been given and serve by the strength that God supplies. God is so good to us that not only does he give us the spiritual gifts to use, he gives us the strength to use them. He's with us every step of the way. I know sometimes this whole mission thing is daunting, like making disciples and building the church and doing all the things and like, it can seem like a lot, and it, it, we can get tired, we can get worn out, but we are never alone. The Holy Spirit is there giving us gifts and giving us strength, and as soon as we feel like our cup is empty, if we pray and seek the Lord, He fills it right back up with more of the Holy Spirit, so we can keep serving and keep doing what God's called us to do. He says, serve by the strength that God supplies in order that God may be glorified. Friends, I need you to understand this morning that every single one of us was made for one primary purpose. The purpose of your life is to glorify God. Period. 
above everything else. More than being a good parent, more than being a good spouse, more than being successful at work, more than making money or buying toys, more than earning that degree, more than whatever else is in front of you, those aren't bad things, but they are never primary. We are always primarily called to glorify God first and foremost. And so as stewards of these gifts, are we using them to glorify Him first? Or are we using them to glorify us? If I'm just using my gifts to make money and support my family and to take nice trips and to spend time with my friends and if I'm just using them for me, that's a bad steward. My job is to glorify God with the gifts that he's given. That's why he equips us. Again, a steward is not an owner. He just manages the resources, right? And you want to manage those resources to get the best possible return for the owner. It's kind of like a financial planner. You guys ever do like financial planners or anything for like retirement stuff? You go and you give them your money. And their job is to use it and to get the best possible return, right, for you. Because it's not their money. It's your money. They're just using it to get you as much as they possibly can for retirement. That's like us and God. He gives us these gifts, not for us. We don't own them. We use them to get the best possible return for him and for his kingdom and for his glory. That's what it looks like to be a steward. And because every single one of us who are followers of Christ have been given a gift, that makes us all stewards, whether you like it or not. You don't get to opt out. You are a steward. The question is, are you a good steward or a bad steward? That's what's in front of us. How am I stewarding the gifts? Am I using the gifts to bring maximum glory to God? So he's the equipper. And then lastly, number five, last one, he is the witness. Go back to John 15. Verse 26 through 27 says this, but, the help, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He will bear witness about me, Jesus says. One of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness, to give testimony that Jesus is God, that he is the Lord of all creation, that he is the savior of the world, that he is who he says he is. The Holy Spirit bears witness to that by proclaiming Jesus. But notice he says, he will bear witness and you also will bear witness. Because one of the main ways that the Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus is through us. Through the lives and through the testimony of believers as we go out and we share our stories, we share our faith, we share our testimony with other people, and we witness about that he is God, and that he is king, and that he is our savior, and this is how he can save you. That's the Holy Spirit working through us to bear witness to Jesus and the salvation that he offers. Acts chapter 4, verse 31 says, And when they had prayed... 
The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, if you know this section, this is right after the church is getting persecuted. Right? They've been told, like, hey, stop preaching the gospel. You can't do that. We're going to put you in prison. We're going to kill you. We're going to take away all your stuff. We're going to whatever. They're threatening them, like, you've got to stop. And so they're scared. They're like, man, what are we going to do? We know we're supposed to, to tell people about the gospel, but we're, 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 we're very afraid for our lives. So they pray and they ask God for help. Like, God, what are we going to do here? And look at God's response. God's like, oh, you're having a problem being a, a witness? Let me give you more Holy Spirit. And he fills them afresh with the Spirit. He fills them with the witness so they can then go out. And what happens? As soon as they get more of the witness, they go out and they boldly proclaim the gospel again. I know some of us in this room, man, we struggle. We struggle to be a bold witness. We struggle to give our testimony to others because we're afraid. What are they going to say? What are they going to think? What's going to happen at work? What are they, what's going to happen in my neighborhood? What's going to happen at school? If I do this, if I take this step, let me just tell you, if you're struggling to be a bold witness for Jesus, what you need is more of the Holy Spirit. You need to pray and to ask the Lord to fill you with the witness so that you can then go and testify to the greatness of your Savior and to be sent out as a bold witness for Jesus Christ. It doesn't come from us. We don't muster it up. It's not The people who are really good witnesses for Jesus, it's not because... They just like have this natural like thing in them that does it. It's the Holy Spirit working through them to be a witness. We need more of that. Ask yourself, am I a bold witness? Would other people in your life give you that label? Would they be like, oh man, they're just a really, they're really bold about their faith. If not, Ask the Spirit, come, empower me, give me boldness, help me to share my testimony with others. Five ministries of the Holy Spirit. Am I cooperating with the ministries of the Holy Spirit? That's the big question in front of us. Are you heeding His help to obey God's Word? Are you listening to His teaching? Are you repenting of your sin? Are you stewarding the gifts that he's given you? Are you boldly sharing your testimony with others? Are you working with him? Or are you working against him? We want to work with the Holy Spirit, church. Let's seek that today. Let's stand and pray together. Heavenly Father, Thank you, God, so much for your word. Thank you, God, for your truth. Thank you, God, for the blessing that it is in our lives. Lord, you are so immeasurably good to us through these ministries of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you help us, you teach us, you call us, you equip us, you empower us to serve you, to fulfill your mission. God, thank you. Thank you for using us. Thank you for giving us these great opportunities and gifts to serve you and to glorify you. And Lord, we want to do that. We want to work with your spirit, not against him. Lord, help us. 
Help us to walk with him, boldly testifying to who you are and to your great work in our lives, Lord. May we be a witness. May we give testimony, Lord, to the greatness of our God through the power of the Spirit. In Christ's name.